I want you to imagine for a second, you're back to the point where you're dating that person or you're ahead to the point where you're dating that person that you really hope is going to be your spouse. And you see them reach into their bag and pull out a book to begin reading. And as they open it, the cover of the book says how to not fall in love with a jerk. I don't know how you'd feel about that. It's a little bit too late for that book to be of any help to my wife. You've, you're already stuck with me. It's why we went for four kids. I know she can't get away now. Um, but How to Not Fall in Love with a Jerk is actually a real book written by Dr. John Van Epp. And John Van Epp is a church planter. He was a pastor. He's an author. And his writings from this book created a a system to help us understand relationships a little bit better. And it's all based on the principles of scripture, but it was written in a way that it gets used at college campuses all across the United States. And it's called the relational attachment model or method. And it just really helps spell out some things about the way that we handle and navigate our relationships. Because at the end of the day, your goal probably is, I don't want to be married to a jerk but I also don't want to be one either. I want to be all that God has called me to to be, designed me to be. And so when we look at our relationships, from our friendships to our marriages, to our family members, we want those relationships to be healthy, to be encouraging, to be happy, to be joyful, to be fulfilling. And this series, Winning at Relationships, is about that. It's about us getting all that God dreams of for our marriages and our relationships. Now, when I say winning at relationships, I I recognize that when the world hears a term like winning at relationships, it probably sees it through, oh, you want to be the one who always gets their way. You want to be the one who always gets what they want, gets their needs filled and doesn't have to worry. You just want to win all the time. And I want to tell you that scripture describes Victory describes winning, describes leadership in a very different way than the world sees it. And so when I say winning at relationships, I'm not talking about if you follow these steps, it's going to get you what you want so you can be a selfish jerk all the time. This has got to be a record for how many times I've said jerk in one sermon in the first three minutes. (laughs) But there's a reality that we get drawn towards selfishness instead of selflessness when the instructions about how to win in a relationship from scripture are very clear. We're going to look at Philippians chapter two today. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be looking at verses three and four and 12 and 13. And we'll project this up on the, the screen as I read it, starting with verse three. This is our instruction about relating to each other. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, I, I want to really focus on that, and we're going to dig into that in a minute. But the, the next section, just for time's sake, I'd love to spend time digging through it. You should read it later in the week. The Apostle Paul goes in, and, and he really highlights this, this staying away from selfish ambition and vain conceit. And then he, he highlights, this is what you're called to do. And he shows you, this is how it was in the life of Christ. And Jesus poured himself out for, himself out for you. And then 
And to verse 12, he connects the two thoughts. He connects the thought about how we, we should live with humility that was on display in Christ. And then in verse 12, he connects the thoughts to his, what he's going to say next. And he says, therefore, dear, bro, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. As we start with this and we start with saying, we're going to look at our relationships and we're going to ask questions about how do we get healthier relationships? I believe that the starting point is saying, everything that God calls me to be is what I'm supposed to strive to be. And so when you look in scripture and we see the description of how we're supposed to interact with each other, Philippians 2 puts the spotlight out and says, there's no room for selfishness. It can't just be about you getting your own way. And so if we begin to look at our relationships and say, okay, how have I been towards my wife? How have I been towards my family, towards my mom and dad, towards my siblings, towards my friends? When we begin to look and we see, okay, selfishness is too high, then it, it brings us to a point where we say, okay, I need to adjust some levels. When I say levels, I know some of the guys in the room, definitely some of the women as well, might think of stereo levels. That's what I think of when I think of like adjusting knobs and levels, trying to get something figured out. I remember from a very early age, my, I, I grew up in the 80s. And if you lived through the 80s, you probably had one of those cabinets with a glass case that had like the silver stereo system in it. Yeah. And to a toddler, it's the most fun thing to play with. To a parent, it's got to be the most frustrating thing that a toddler can play with. And I can remember the feeling and the sound of pushing on the glass door and getting that ch-chunk, and then it springs open, and it's like the space shuttle door just opened. And I've got to get everything ready for liftoff, and so I'm adjusting all the knobs and levers that I'm sure my parents worked very diligently to get equalized exactly how they wanted it. And my, my love for technology started early. And so I played with these things until the knobs broke off of them, right? Yeah, I'm sure my, my hide got tanned a few times for this, but it was just so much fun to adjust the levels, right? It, but, but men, and I know as I grew and I got a stereo system put in my car, like once it was set, like I, I screwed down a piece of glass over it so no one would accidentally touch it because once it's set, that's how I want it to be. And I think that the problem that some of us men have is that we feel like in our relationship, we get things tuned and they were running well. And then if we just leave it there and don't touch it again, everything's going to stay fine. The levels were there. Like we were good. What happened? Well, once the levels are set, at least in relationships, there's this, this slow leak that happens to them. We, communication might've been good, but if we don't stay on it, it's going to slowly diminish. And, and so to help us understand, and especially help uh, us men to understand what we're talking about today, in the health of your relationship, the relational attachment model, it, it, it identifies these five areas that for us to care about other people, for us to not just be internally focused in the way that we do our life. And the, these are undergirded, the, the foundation of these are throughout scripture about how we interact and love other people, because especially in the marriage relationship. I mean, I, I want to tell you in Genesis 2, 24, Matthew 19, 5, Mark 10, 8, Ephesians 5, 31, they all echo this same statement of the two will become one life. 
that the man and the woman will be joined together and they will become one. And that's the scriptural calling. But how in the world do you make that happen without it being incredibly painful all the time? Like, how do we get over our hangups, our differences, our failures to communicate, our failures to feel heard? How do you do it? That's what this is about. This is, I'm going to try to give you some practical things that you can look at that men, you can analyze where, where's the balance set in this? Because I know my goal is to be one with this other person. And, and you know, outside of, of the spouse relationship, 1 Peter 4, 8 calls us to love each other deeply. So in your friendships, in, in your family, the people who are not your spouse, we're called to love each other deeply. So how do we do it? This is a way for you to understand the health of your relationship. And this is going to be a practical tool. And I want to tell you that all of the ones to the right, they're all built on the foundation of the first one. The, the knowing that if, if this level is here, these can go higher. But if this level is still at the bottom and you try to move up reliance or trust without knowing someone, you understand how you can get hurt. Maybe you haven't looked at it this visually before, but one of the first questions that we begin to ask about the health of our relationship is how well do I know this person? When someone in our our life that we love begins dating someone else and, and they begin to trust way before they get to know, we throw out the caution flag for them. And we say, you don't know them yet. You can't bring trust that high. You can't begin to rely on them. You can't quit your job and let them financially support you when you don't even know if they're married to somebody else yet. Right? I mean, we understand that. So, so knowing, knowing how they feel, knowing how they think, knowing how they see, knowing their past experiences and how their past experiences change the way they see their present experiences. Those are things that we have to dive in and getting to know the people that we love in our life. And once that raises, then we get into trust. Now trust, I, it, it drives me bonkers the way that people will misuse trust. And, and I mean it like this. They will say, well, you shouldn't have to ask me that because you should trust me. And it's like trust is almost used as a defensive wall of letting someone know you. But trusting someone grows out of knowing. And I, without apology, will tell you that if you're in a marriage, you should allow that person to have access to every depth of your life. You can't say this to them, but I can. If you don't let them have the passcode for your phone, something's wrong. The two become one. There, there's, there's nothing that cannot be known about me to you if you are my spouse. And trust, trust grows with knowledge. And so when someone asks to know you better, you don't use trust as a defense to stay away, but trust is something that goes up as this goes up. And trust, we know, man, when trust is lost, this, this one takes the longest to grow back up. Trust is so important. And kids, as you look forward to relationships in the future, when someone asks you to trust them before you know them, that should be an alarm in your head. 
You look back to this illustration and you say, I don't know you well enough to give you that kind of trust yet. And it's okay for you to say, you're just not to that level yet. That, that would be out of balance. This has to raise up before this raises up. And as knowledge and trust grows, then you can begin to rely on a person. Of saying, you know, socially, we don't always think of that, but when we enter a relationship, sometimes it's because socially they bring us places that we, we would like to go, but we wouldn't go on our own. And so we rely on them for social situations. We rely on them financially. We rely on them emotionally. And this is a healthy part of relationships, once again, in balance. That if we begin to give them the authority that God should have in our life, when we rely on a person for our worth, we are out of balance. When we rely on a person for our courage, when we rely on a person for our faith, we are out of balance in our life. And so all of these, they have to move. Commitment. Once again, commitment to the person comes after knowledge, trust, some reliance, and then you get to commitment of saying, we're together, I am with you. Whatever comes, we're, we're gonna navigate it together. And once again, this grows as those go up. And the last one, not the first one. Not the first, this doesn't work as the first one. When you start with touch, it gives you a false sense of knowing the person, trusting the person, that you can rely on the person, that the person is committed to you. And it's a false sense. And this is one that is beautiful and amazing and enjoyable when it goes through the proper channels and the proper timing and the proper balance. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at these individually and we're going to talk about the role that they should play in the balance of our life and as things change. And this is the thing, men. We've got to look at this like it's a leaky tire. It's like, we'll get it set. You know, when we were dating, man, things were good. Things were set. I knew who she was. We trusted. We had the right of reliance. We, we had the proper level of commitment for someone who was dating. We're doing it God's ways. We kept the touch down, unfortunately, because we're doing things God's ways. And so we're going to wait on that. I mean, just really, we know when someone's dating, it's like you want the touch level to go up. But God says there's a timing for that. And so when you're dating, it's there. But you know what? When you get married, knowing your spouse as a wife is different than knowing her as someone you were dating. The, the trust that's there as a spouse it's different. Each one of these, they, they rebalance at different stages and you have to re-get to know the person that you love. You, you, you have to understand, okay, where is trust now? Where's our reliance now? Things change now that we're together. One of you guys might be working. One of you guys might be taking care of the home and relying on the other person to bring in the finances and the reliance changes. And thankfully, once you're married, the touch changes too. And then kids come around because the touch changed too. And once that happens, you have to really get to know them now as a mother and, and how this is different and the trust, the reliance, the commitment, the child steals all of the touch for a while and, and things change because it's not just set it and forget it, but it's something that has to be maintained. It's a communication that you have to go, really pour yourself into men. And so today we're, we're talking about the first one of knowing. How do, how do I, in a way that honors God, raise the level of knowing the people who are in my life. The foundation for communication, 
I want us to keep it at Philippians chapter two, verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I want to just start there with the foundation of knowing someone. When you get to know them, it cannot be all about you. You have to look, and especially in the cases of a spouse, and this is what you want to look for in a future spouse. You want to be someone and you want to find someone who says, I want to know you. I want to know your heart. I want to know your dreams so I can propel you towards them. If you begin to get in a relationship with someone who wants to use you to get just what they want, they want the status that they can get from being with you. They want the physical pleasure that they can get from being with you. They, they want to use you emotionally to lift them up whenever they need it. And then when they don't need it, they're just gone. You can see the selfishness that's in that type of relationship. And when you begin to know that in a person during the dating stage, I'm going to tell you that's a huge flag that they may not be ready for you because you recognize that you're going to be someone who's not selfishly motivated and you're looking for someone who's not selfishly motivated. So, so that's the beginning of the foundation for that. But so for the relationships that you're in now, what, what, what do we do? How, how do we begin to, to make this healthy? Well, there's going to be three, three T's that we use, men especially, women as well. It's going to help kind of be in our memory. We get to know them by talking. And that seems simple, but in today's world, communication has vastly changed, some for the good, some for the, the worse. But they, there's a study that was done and they just set up cameras in a fast food restaurant and they watched 55 families eat their meal. And 40 out of the 55 families had almost no communication at the table while they were eating their, their meal together. Now, so many families are like, I want my kids to talk to me, but they just won't. Well, look at your habits. Look at, look at what you're intentional about. And if this is striking you in your head about your family, I don't want you to get wrapped up in guilt or shame. I want you to be propelled towards action that in the relationships that you care about and that you should care about, that you're going to move towards actually talking with them. And in fact, in the study, they noted that when the kids would interrupt what the parent was doing on the phone, that they would primarily get a response of anger for interrupting what they were doing on the phone. And so no wonder we have generations who are growing up feeling like the parents don't play a crucial advisor or loving role in their life because we've allowed communication to stop. And I know that I've been guilty of that at times. I know that, you know, there's been times where I will finally have the kids settled around and then I will sit down and it's like, I'm finally going to relax. I'm going to play a game on my phone and I'm playing a game and then someone calls me on my phone. This is my time. I'll just do both. I'll play my game and talk to them. My wife can always tell. We are not, you are not as good as a multitasker as you think. Mythbusters did an episode on distracted driving and they looked at people and, and who are using hands-free, just talking while driving. And they, they said that they performed just as poorly as someone who had the device in their hand. They couldn't do both. And connecting with the people that you love. 
I want to ask you and encourage you this week to create a separation of the communication. That, that when they are with you, that you are with them and no one else is there, take the phone, turn it off. The world can wait for a minute. Your spouse needs this from you. To, men, we, we love goals. We love to see, like, like, let's raise the level. One of the ways you raise it is, I actually spent time talking with them. I actually spent time communicating. I wasn't just doing what I wanted to, I want to play my game. I want to, I want to be selfish. I want to enjoy. There's time for that and there should be time for that. But when you're with them, you're not going to be self-focused. You're going to be selfless. They're going to have me. They're going to have my attention. I'm going to talk with them and learn about them, exchange information. The, the next piece, I don't have my countdown clock, so we'll, we'll go until we finish, I guess. Um, that's just beside the point. I really like this message, so it could go a while. Um, togetherness is the next one. Talking is going to raise the level. Togetherness is, is going to raise it as well. Because though you might spend a lot of time talking together, there's going to be things about when you're actually together in different situations that helps you guys get to know each other in a brand new and different way. My, my wife and I, we did the long distance thing for the first six months, first, first almost year of our, our relationship together, which was great because it helped keep touch further away. Um, and it just forced us to just talk, talk, talk. It was back in the days of like night and weekend free minutes. And so like, you know, 7 p.m. would hit and we would be on the phone for hours at a time. I mean, just every single day, hours just talking. And so we were really healthy in that area. But I want to tell you, once we lived in the same area, we got to know each other in different ways because you'll find this out, that, that when you go through a tough situation together, you'll learn something new about each other. We saw this in play in the life of the disciples. Jesus would take them and he would put them in different difficult circumstances to see how they would respond. In John chapter six, he gave a really difficult teaching. And in verse 60 of chapter six, it said, many were leaving and Jesus asked his disciples, do you want to go too? Are, are, are you guys going to be out too? And that was when Peter had his confession. You, know, you have the words of eternal life. And Peter had an opportunity to show his faith in a different way and experience walking with Jesus in a different way. And if you're with someone and you want to grow in how you know them, play a board game with them. If you're dating them, yeah, you'll see a whole different side, right? Go spend a family holiday with their family. I know they, some people, I saw, I saw quite a few men go, <laughs> that hurt. You'll get to know, but you won't just see their family. You'll see how they interact with family in a different way. I, I've often said in premarital counseling, like if you, if you haven't had a fight with the person that you love yet, go get in a, a canoe together and try to paddle around the lake and you'll find your way into one, Right. Different situation and time spent together, it's going to grow your knowledge of each other because while you're talking, it's easy to talk when everything is balanced and good. But when you get into joy, when you get into difficulty, when you get into sadness, you need to be together through those moments. And guys, 
I want you to see the value, see the return. This is how, it's not just talking and being together just because it's fluffy and emotional. It's we're raising the level. Like the more things that we do together, when we go out on an adventure, on a date together, it's gonna grow that knowledge of each other. We're gonna understand each other more. We might've been together for 16 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. It doesn't matter. You need to keep doing things to be together because it's going to continue to raise that level up. And then the last one is time. So we have talk, togetherness, and time. And, and time is what you'll find in his book, but I want to I reinforce it a little bit with time plus effort. Because it's easy enough for us to spend time together, both of us on our devices, not really interacting with each other. And I want to say time plus effort. Because the more time that you spend with someone, the more likely you are to have that gasp moment of like, I didn't know that you would react that way. I didn't know that you thought that way. Like, I'm surprised by that. I didn't know that was in your history. Like, you need to have time where you're together, you're doing things, you're, you're, you're discussing. It's like, you'll, and as you do that, you'll have those moments where like, I, I can't believe that like you put the toilet paper on facing that direction. Like it's waterfalls, not mullets, people. Like, like you, there's just these little things that will come up. Someone will explain it to you later if you didn't get the waterfall mullet thing. First um, Timothy 5.24 says, the sins of some people are obvious leading to certain judgment, and, but there's those whose sins will trail behind them. Uh, I was reading from a different translation. I'll read the one that's on the screen. The sins of some are obvious reaching the placement of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot be hidden forever. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing Timothy here, and he's just saying, as you deal with people, what you see on the surface is not always what is really below the surface. There will be people that they look like they have it all together, and they don't. And there will be people who you don't see any real good works coming from them, but you have no idea what is happening behind the scenes and how they honor God and how they walk with integrity. And so as you choose leaders, as you choose, specifically as we're talking into this, choosing friends and spouses, you need time spent with them to see what's really there. And men, we love to win. Women, I know you love to win too, but men, it's like we need that goal. We need that visualization that what I'm doing is, is, is scoring a point. And I need you to think, when I spend time talking with her, with my friend, with my people, the level goes up. When I spend time, when I spend togetherness with them, doing different activities, the level goes up. When I spend time and effort with that person, the level goes up. And this is the beginning of a healthier relationship. This is the beginning of creating a circumstance where any of these can begin to move. Band, if you guys want to make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. And I don't want you to get into an unhealthy relationship because you jumped ahead. And this is just a very practical framework to begin to say, how am I doing on knowing the people that I love? How am I doing in making sure that I understand their heart and where they're at. And also, I want you to self-reflect. Am I showing the person I love? Am I letting them know me? 
Or am I trying to get them to believe a version of me that does not exist? Because this is, this is a core obstacle in relationships. It's one of the reasons why time spent is so important in knowing someone. And I, I want to speak into this to a moment because if you're trying, if you feel like you have to be someone that you're not in order for someone to love you, you have bought into some terrible lies about yourself. If you believe that you have to pretend to be someone else before you're too focused on a spouse and on a relationship, you need to get things right between you and God. Because when you begin to understand the smallest picture of who he says you are, you will begin to understand It might be hard for you to say, but I have gifts. I have worth. I have a future. I have the capacity to grow. I will be a good parent someday. I will be a good friend. Not because I'm just naturally good at everything, but because I have a heavenly father who has said he designed me from the time that I was in my mother's womb and he's not a liar. I have a heavenly father who says that he's placed a gift in me that will enable me to impact the entire city that I live in. And he is not a liar. He, he said that he has designed me to love and encourage and walk with other people and belong in a body. And he always, always tells the truth. And if you felt like you have to wear a facade I want to call you back into that truth that you have been designed. You are not an accident. And God has a plan for you. And to get there, this is the beautiful thing. To get to his plan, we don't have to try to position ourselves. We don't have to try to be something that we're not. We don't have to pretend. The easy and the difficult thing that we have to do is we have to Follow Philippians chapter two, verse three. Don't be selfish. So freeing when you don't have to be selfish anymore. You don't have to try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And when you live according to his scriptures, he provides everything that you need in season. And so the Apostle Paul takes all those thoughts of if you live selflessly together as a church, as families, then therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, you've put it into practice, not only in my presence, but more in my absence, continue to work out. Now this word work out, energeo, is the Greek. It sounds like energy. That's where we get the word. This is, this is what, it, what it's saying. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who energeo in you, that he energizes you. That God is the one who in your heart, in your soul, he gives you the energy and the ability to will and act to fulfill his good purpose. By getting things right with God, he gives you the strength to do the things in relationships that you didn't think you'd ever be able to do, ever be able to fix, ever be able to change. Things that you never thought would be able to grow. 
but you've got to choose God's way or your way. And I want to encourage you. I want to tell you the good news. God's way is always better. And you are always invited to God's way. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you don't leave us to figure it out ourselves. You don't leave us to fight it out ourselves. But you say, when you put yourself in in the right way, when you say, when we walk selflessly and we stand as we're supposed to stand, that you will cause victory to happen in relationships, in challenges, in the things that we feel like we need to fight for. When we lay it at your feet, you bring victory to those situations. And so right now for our marriages, for our families, for our friendships that feel like they're broken beyond repair, we ask for you to work in us so that we can work on those situations and bring them to a place that honors you. So help us to know you better so that we can know those that you've given us and that we can walk in victory because of what Jesus has done. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.